how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. At an early age, Alice Waddington learned it was possible to create something in and around your small town that could affect people around the globe. When the financial crisis hit Spain in 2008, she made the decision to pursue her dreams of becoming a screenwriter and filmmaker. Hoping to pay homage to the female heroine, Waddington began a career somewhat in the modern fairy tale with Disco Inferno and Magical Girl. In her new film, Paradise Hills, she seconded this mindset even further. The new movie stars Emma Roberts, Danielle McDonald, and Aquafina. According to the description, Uma wakes up in an apparently idyllic school for young ladies called Paradise, meant to reform her and her new friends, but there is a darker secret behind its walls. In this interview, she discusses best treatment practices, advice from Gilmore del Toro and Edgar Wright, why she writes for a preteen version of herself, and how to make a parable without preaching. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure to also visit our YouTube page, also called Creative Principles, where we dissect films, series, and more. So, I don't really come from a family that's connected within film. Uh, my story is really that uh, my parents had this one friend that uh, uh, grew up eventually to become uh, a director of photography. Uh, but a, they are, you know, a teacher and a psychologist, so they don't originally have an array of contacts exactly in film. So that one contact I worked with say, from 16 years of age to around 20, and uh, we did many uh, movies and music videos and also, a, a, you know, the, even television together. And uh, the first film that we did together uh, was, called Ander uh, by Roberto Castone and it was a feature that went to the Berlin Film Festival so it kind of taught me that you could sort of make something with your friends in your hometown and have it become a, something that gathered the interest at the International Film Festival. Uh, I couldn't really go to film school, so I went to a, I went to do public. Sorry, I went to advertising at the uh, public university of the Basque Country instead. And um, then I started working uh, in agencies, and I was an intern there, so I was receiving anywhere from one hundred and eighty to nine hundred dollars a month at the very most. And so I was complementing that income with working. At uh, yeah, you know, at food markets, retail stores, etc. Uh, and uh, I was quite depressed back in the day because I, you know, the financial crisis had hit Spain at the same time that it had hit um, 
that it had hit, you know, the job, sorry, the financial crisis had hit the job market in Spain at the same time that I had left university. That was back in 2008, I want to say. So, um, so it was quite a desperating situation. I was not until I met Natalie Galondo, who had studied at the same university as me, that I grew encouraged to essentially pursue what I actually wanted to do, which was film. Uh, he showed me uh, Judex by George Renju, and I just learned that uh, the sort of female heroine pattern had existed for longer than I thought. I also discovered 1920s uh, serials such as uh, Les Vampires, like the vampires. Uh, and I was just excited about that, and I wanted to pay homage to that sort of dynasty uh, of female heroine. So I uh, made me for short, and that was this Inferno in 2015, and it went to 70 international festivals. Uh, and uh, it got uh, qualified for the Academy Awards, and it got... Uh, uh, Played at festivals such as Palm Springs, uh, and it won uh, places like Sitges or a Fantastic Fest, and uh, that was that was really the beginning of it all. Um, you know, you, we went to I, I uh, right after finishing the short film, uh, this Inferno in 2015 that I was talking about. I started writing a. Um, my first feature film with the treatment to my first feature film apologies with uh, uh, Sofia Cuenca who is a Spanish genre writer and uh, we took that uh, insanely long 40 page treatment <laughs> and a visual presentation with some filmic and emotional references to uh, Fantastic Fest the Fantastic Market um, Rodney Perkins who was a, uh, a Fantastic Market director back in the day uh, selected it out of two projects uh, another one was a story about a woman uh, being haunted by a spirit in a at a house, in an ancient house, which you know, which while interesting, it, it was it was perhaps less original than Parallel. Uh, uh, even though the treatment back in the day differed quite a bit from what is on screen nowadays, it was a good start, and it was second best feature project of the market, and uh, we were lucky enough to win best directing that year as well there. Um, and that's where the fairy tale kind of began because I met Guillermo Toro and Guillermo introduced me to um, his manager and agent, uh, Robert Newman and Gary Unger. And uh, they at the same time introduced me to my uh, producers, uh, Nuria Valls and Ariane Guerra in, uh, in Barcelona, in Sitges, where the film was, sorry, where their show was playing and, and won as well. So that's really the story. And then uh, it took off. So tell me a little bit more. You mentioned like a long treatment. How do you kind of present your ideas? Is it, are you talking, are you referencing other films? Are you mainly talking about character? What does the treatment look like for you? So in a film with such a uh, wide visual component, such as in Paradise Tales, uh, I can't really express myself just with the written word. I would rather... Um, pitch my ideas with a full presentation, which is something that I learned uh, essentially in advertising. So my presentations are usually a, my presentations usually include um, 
references to it's usually about 15 to 18 uh, uh, slides on a deck uh, that accompany the treatment and those slides are basically uh, an intro reference in other films uh, back in the day because it was 2015 it was films like Get Out for example by Jordan Peele uh, and uh, it was it also mentioned being sort of a teenage version of Blue Velvet by David Lynch, uh, which I stand by because I think it's a hilarious uh, comparison. It also mentioned being a, a sort of young adult version of Orwellian dystopia, uh, Orwellian dystopies, albeit uh, with a different sort of technological fear more linked to social networks, etc. Just a sociological context, specifically some feminist theory as well, uh, just because the film does talk about the dichotomy between uh, the virgin slash horror stereotypes um, in in ancient religions. So so we spoke a little bit about that and uh, basically because the actions of sign up for the project will have to deal with, with um, you know all of that <laughs> all of that uh, theoretical part and uh, me talking about it endlessly. So so that was a good that was a weird sort of warning <laughs> and um, anticipatory warning, you know. And uh, as well, there was uh, uh, a visual evolution of the story uh, pertaining to different history, films from the history of cinema. There was everything there from uh, Six of Police to The Red Shoes to paintings by Hans Gude. Uh, just some, uh, some some references that explain the uh, arch that the uh, use of light would have in the film. Then there was a character guide because I believe this being a young adult story, uh, you you really have a vast array of, of characters there. Uh, and uh, there was as well two slides with concept art that I had uh, painted in collaboration with uh, other uh, digital artists as well, uh, inclu including uh, the Spanish Ignacy Monreal. Uh, and um, I uh, uh, included references to the clothing in the film, but also to, uh, but also there was several paintings. Uh, there were several paintings um, that uh, pertain to different moments in the story. So, for example, um, the opening scenes, uh, some views of the residence where the girls are secluded to, and also uh, some elements that would be a spoiler to explain, but that uh, were situated in the third act and part of it some of the twists that the, the film kind of conceals. So, um, yeah, that was that was essentially it. And, you know, that was a, a accompanying this 40-page treatment that I was talking about, which, of course, is way too long. Like, you shouldn't write a 40-page treatment to pitch a feature film, but we were young and naive and, and way too excited about it not to, not to do it. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, your new film. So I see you're kind of listed as the screen story as well as the director, where did this idea come from, and then when did some other writers get involved, and what was that process like? Yes, of course. So as I was um, as I was referring earlier, uh, Sofia Cuenca and I started writing that original treatment in the first place, but uh, also uh, original. Sorry, we started writing in the original in 2015, but also. Um, uh, when we uh, brought the project to Sitges, uh, 
uh, I wanted to. Uh, so basically, we we agreed that uh, naturally Galon would develop that treatment into a feature film, uh, and uh, that meant that I brought him into the project because you know he was the original inspiration for my short, and also uh, Adrian and Nuria, uh, my producers, uh, Adrian uh, Geran, Nuria Valls, and Nostromo Pictures in Barcelona, uh, brought in uh, Brian Lear, who uh, of course wrote. Um, Daniel's in real, based on his own novel, and uh, he's of course a writer and, and sorry, a screenwriter and novelist that works in the genre space. He's worked uh, before with Adam Edgy Mortimer, who is the director actually of, of Daniel. Uh, but of course, uh, Daniel is based on his own novel, and it's a ghost story. So again, everyone in the project was really working or had been working in the genre space. Uh, so we were all nerds at heart, which was what mattered to us <laughs> for picking the collabor- for picking collaborators here. Um, and, uh, you know, Nacho had never written for anyone else before. He had always written for himself, but uh, I have uh, worked with, sorry, I have known him for seven years at this point. We have been neighbors in, the, in Malasaña in, in Madrid for the longest time. So uh, I I just wanted to honor, uh, you know, our, our, our friendship. I just wanted to honor uh, the fact that he could be my eyes and ears in the project and he could represent my point of view because he has known me for so long. Uh, and then uh, Brian was interesting um, because uh, he wasn't just a screenwriter. He, as I was mentioning earlier, sorry to reiterate myself, he, he's a novelist as well. So I was just uh, interested in, in dramatizing and uh, uh, fictionalizing, not, not fictionalizing, but... Um, I was interested in writers that would both bring uh, twists and turns to a genre story out of pure love for for fantasy filmmaker filmmaking, but also who would uh, dramatize uh, uh, very real issues and very current problems that uh, young people are going through, specifically uh, women. And I just thought that I had found the right collaborators in them. Uh, I really wrote this film for my uh, 12, 14, you know, sorry, 12, 13, 14 year old self who was quite nerdy, who was, you know, uh, uh, bullied in, in high school, uh, and who'd escaped to these fantasy, fantastic worlds uh, that I was talking about, uh, and uh, who loved, you know, Lord of the Rings and Narendra's story, but who could never you know, uh, see, see themselves in, in those narratives. And, uh, yeah, I, I also, of course, have, have cousins who are quite young, who are that very age I was talking about right just now. And, uh, I just see that as adults, we've put in their hands this window to the world that's telling them that they're never going to be beautiful enough, popular enough, perfect enough at the end of the day. And I just wanted to communicate that, uh, those, they're, they're God responds to those pressures is normal, and uh, they they are right to be creeped out by them, <laughs> and uh, they really have to, you know, uh, instead of changing for for other people, they they should find a group that will love them for who they actually truly are. You know, obviously, this is a film that um, you're kind of you're defining yourself at this age as a young person. As a filmmaker, what are your thoughts on kind of their balancing their responsibility, but also the entertainment of kind of providing some lessons in your films for young women or young people? Ooh, I love this question. 
Uh, we wanted to make uh, a fairy tale parable without preaching. Uh, I feel like when you're having a very female narrative uh, that sort of tackles current issues, as we were, we were saying just now, um, and you're doing it with such a female cast specifically, uh, you are going to necessarily have to have female, you know, woman characters that uh, are horrible people accompanied by some that are wonderful and some of them are just you know just fine just normal uh, human beings <laughs> and the reason for that is just because it's not meant to be a pamphlet it's meant to be a, a narrative it's meant to be a story a, there is no um there is no agenda that we are pushing with the film, but what there is there is an acknowledgement. What there is is rather an acknowledgement of a younger generation that is very uh, aware of the political state of the world. You know, this is a film meant to lose yourself in the dark, meant to just go with it, uh, in the way that they, you know, we, we Fellini films wanted you to just go along with the story instead of asking too many questions. <laughs> But at the same time, it's paradoxical how this is a feature made for people who are proud of asking many questions, just like I was when I was younger. I remember when I was a child, when I was around, yes, I was saying some 12 years old, when I was a young, young adult, indeed, I, I, I got pushed aside in, I would pull aside in, in history class to the point in which my parents were called because I was asking too many questions in, in history, in history, during history lessons. That was an actual meeting that happened between my parents and my, and my history teacher. Uh, uh, she was basically saying that I was disrupting the dynamics of the class by uh, by by being too curious, basically, and uh, that is the people that I'm making the film for. You know? <laughs> the people who ask so many questions and who get grounded and, and chastised for that, because I think that is a very fair way of seeing the world. And uh, I feel like we're seeing uh, many teenagers that are a uh, part of this. Um, of this world, you just need to look at people like Greta Thunberg and how many adults they sort of get to make mad. Uh, I don't know if that's because I'm Spanish. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but you know they're making they're making out of adults mad. I'm sure you write this properly, not in the way that I just saw it said, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Uh, and uh, I think that's very interesting that uh, such a young girl can sort of uh, uh, cause such a stir, cause such a movement. Uh, the, you know, the world is really uh, in their hands now, and that's unfair. But at the same time, it, it makes me hopeful. It makes me happy. And uh, yeah, that's really again that's. That's really, uh, the film really is for everyone, boys and girls and parents as well, who come to me and tell me uh, that uh, it's going to help them start a sort of intergenerational chat about uh, what they want for them, what they as parental figures want for the kids, and at the same time, uh, what uh, uh, what those kids actually want in their lives and for their futures. Uh, and I think that's, that's a really important conversation to be had. So you're combining a couple of genres for this film. What were some rules that you wanted to follow? And then what were some rules you kind of wanted to break with your adventure story? Mm, very interesting. 
interesting. I love this question as well. Listen, the interesting, the, the, the cool thing of fairy tales is that uh, we think we know them, right? That's why they're so fun to work with because they are entertaining to subvert. A, and one thing that was important to me was to have a first and a second act in this film that was quite recognizable, right? Quite warm, quite inviting. Uh, so that you could get that rock pulled from under your feet in the third act. So one of the interesting things about the third act of this, uh, sorry, let me let me backtrack. One of the uh, beautiful things about this film to us, as, just as creators, was to take um, to take a sort of manic pixie dream girl um, stereotypes uh, that we've been seeing uh, in many. 1960s, uh, 1950s uh, films that are predominantly female or have predominantly female protagonists, uh, such as, for example, the fabulous uh, Breakfast of Tiffany's and uh, Funny Face uh, and uh, the like, and just sort of subverting them uh, and and kind of kind of seeing them, kind of deconstructing them a little bit and seeing them as as uh, structures and uh, and as archetypes, seeing them right away and seeing them decompose in a third act that hopefully was unfamiliar enough to create uh, uh, a state of discomfort in the viewer. Uh, just because uh, we were really going after that notion of perfection that we were referring earlier and um, trying to lift the lid uh, on it and uh, just examine what was underneath all of that glit underneath all of the glitz and glamour and uh, under all of those uh, restrictive ideas of femininity and specifically against the idea that there is just one monolithic way to be a woman is there any specific advice you wish you had kind of before you started making films or any advice you'd like to pass on to young filmmakers possibly young female filmmakers hmm sure Listen, I accepted this before. I do take my my role, or my potential role, rather, as a, a mentor for a, a you know young female filmmakers and and people of color who want to create stories in general, uh, quite seriously. And I I feel like we have amazing references in in, in this behalf in the sense of. A, for example, have really community leaders such as Ava DuVernay, for example, with with her acquisition of, of film theaters and her creation of, of wonderful foundations. Um, and I feel like what I can humbly contribute to a track record like that is just a, being able to to empower a Hispanic a, a creators. To, to bring their own stories to the forefront, you know, because uh, I, I feel like Latino, Latinx and, and Spanish and Hispanic stories have been truly undertold a, a beyond the a wonderful references, of course, such as the Vivian Guillermo del Toro, a, or, or even now a, a, the marvelous Cisa Lopez with her Tigers Are Not Afraid, which everyone should should watch because it's it's incredible. Or or in the younger space, you know, we have new voices such as in the younger space, Gigi Saul Herrero, a, who who has two two pro, film projects right now, including a Culture Shock for for Holder recently. 
So, you know, creators like that don't really need any advice because they're leaders themselves. But what I would say is uh, that for these young women and, and young men who are seeking to get into the industry, I would first assuage their, their, their main fear, their, their primary fears, right? Uh, then usually being, for example, how they're not imagining that they need to say uh, stuff that other people um, Stuff that other people they, they only need to say twice, that they need to say thrice or, or twice or thrice. They're not alone either in thinking that there is a saturation in the storytelling market. No market, that's very ugly. In the storytelling context. But also how they're, they're right to believe that if they are able to tell their own stories and if they're able to tell them in the specific way that they're passionate about and in a way that is also culturally specific, and this is also very important because uh, many production companies are looking for uh, tiny stories that are universal and that have this uh, um, old at the age of the uh, tiny tiny local story uh, told in an original way. So, so universal story told with a new twist, right? Um, that, that still holds true and still holds relevant. Uh, but also I would say that they have to look for, for mentors and they have to look for a, a, a sponsors in the sense of investing in their future. Uh, and that they would be shocked to find out how many of those female mentors that they could be trying to find uh, are probably too busy surviving a a um, a um, world that is complex for them, you know, uh, and that perhaps sometimes uh, male mentors uh, can be, especially if you're a woman, male mentors, you know, that have proven themselves to, to be uh, morally <laughs> correct. <laughs> uh, uh, are sometimes in um, in an easier a situation to help and support them. Uh, for example, and I will give very real examples from from my professional life. Uh, directors such as Scott Derrickson uh, or uh, Guillermo del Toro or Edgar Wright have been greater guiding lights for me. Uh, have been great guiding lights for me simply because they're at the position of their careers in which they can extend the generosity that they have received in the past from fellow filmmakers. Uh, and that position of comfort is really capital to uh, towards a, a helping out people who are in a, people who are in a, who, people who, who who really are from I don't know how to say this helping minority creators that's the word. Thank you for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening. Please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.